Let's turn to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. And we'll read verses 4 through 9. And they journeyed from Mount Or by the wayside to the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and the soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, rightfully so. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that, that is bitten, when it looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. When I came amongst the church about 13 years ago, <coughs> I suppose I was pretty naive. Because I thought this is just going to be perfect. Here I am. I'm going to be amongst the Lord's people. Christians! And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to worship the Lord with good folks. Well, I soon found out that that, that wasn't necessarily the full truth. <laughs> because God's people can be something sometimes, can't they? Well, look at these folks. Do you realize what just happened here? What we just read? These are the same people that saw the ten plagues in Egypt. They had seen the miracles of God. And then God leads them out of Egypt. Why? Well, because they were complaining about being slaves. Remember that? Well, so they get what they want. They pray for it. God grants it to them. They're released from Egypt and they get to the Red Sea. Well, that was an obstacle, wasn't it? And what do the Lord's people do again? They complain. Moses, have you led us out here to the wilderness to die? Because now we're stuck. Here's the Red Sea, and here comes the Egyptian army. So what does God do at that point? He parts the Red Sea. And what do they do? They pass through dry shod. Isn't that amazing? Do you think that would have been enough for uh, this group of people to completely praise and worship God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind? Should have been, but it wasn't. Because as they start wandering the wilderness, what do they start to do? Well, they start to complain some more, don't they? Yes. Well, we're hungry. 
Have you brought us out here, Moses, to die of starvation? So what does God do? He addresses the issue and he sends them bread for he- bread from heaven. And they get to feed upon that. What, what another miracle that is. And then what do they do here? This is where we pick up the story. They complain about that bread. It no longer satisfies them. And they want something else. Aren't these people just terrible? <laughs> and they're just like us. That's right. Because we get a new car, we pray for a new car, and we want that upgrade, and God uh, allows us to get it and grants us away, and finally we get that car, we start driving around it, and suddenly it's just not good enough anymore, is it? Right. Well, we need another one. We need the next best thing. And the same can be said for most likely all of our possessions. Well, we have it for a while, we want it, and then we want something better. Is it any different for the ministry? And we've got a lot of ministers here. Don't we all pray and beg God for more people? For the seats to be filled? I do. I do quite a bit. That's something I'd like to see. And I I like to see when it happens sometimes. But you know what I've noticed? I've noticed when we do have a bigger crowd at church, I go home and my head's spinning most of the time. When we have a small crowd, I go home quite relaxed. So here I am, I pray for more people, and then I complain when they give me a hard time. I complain when they critique my message. I complain when they complain. And before you know it, it's just a big complaint department, isn't it? And that's just how we are. Unfortunately, not much has changed from the days of Moses, has it? We're still just a bunch of complainers. And we need to be careful, I tell you what. Right. (laughs) Because uh, God bless these folks time and time and time again. And here they are complaining. And what does God say here? God says, I've had enough. Mm -hmm. And God sends these poisonous serpents to start biting the people. And that's exactly what those serpents started to do. And people started to drop dead. And the one thing that I will give to this people is they have a habit of repenting. And they did go to the Lord. And you know what? Let me tell you something. I don't think we should wait for this to happen to us. I don't think we should wait till the Lord punishes us in this manner in order for us to repent. Uh, When we see and we're convicted that we're doing something wrong, let's repent right away, can we? Because I don't want the fiery serpents to come my way. But they got them. And they started to drop dead and they repented. Moses went to the Lord in prayer and he gives Moses some specific directions. He says, create a brazen serpent and put it on a pole. Well, if you think about a serpent, the only way to get a serpent to stick on a pole, you'd have to place it on something that's figured like a cross. Would you you say that's that's fair? Most of you know where I'm going after this. Brother Dolph already called it. He's already picked out my message and ruined it. (laughs) So he makes this brazen serpent and he puts it on a cross. And he tells these folks... 
that in order for you to be saved from the poisonous venom that is streaming through your veins, you have to stare up at this serpent that Moses is hanging up. And if you're obedient to those directions, your life will be spared. Can I ask you this question? If those that were bitten looked up at this brazen serpent, were they saved eternally? No. No. What did it save them from? What was going on right then and right there? That's an important detail. Yes, it is. Well, so what happened to this brazen serpent? So they, they're obedient. Those that, that gaze upon the brazen serpent were spared by God. But what happened to that serpent? You know what happened to that brazen serpent? I'll just read this from Second Kings. It says, about King Hezekiah, it says, He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. Well, what did the people start to do with the brazen serpent? They started to worship it. Aren't we pathetic, my friends? And do you ever wonder why we don't have a piece of the cross or a little chip from the tomb or, or anything else that was significant in the Scriptures that we read? You know why God hasn't preserved that stuff for us? It's because if He did, we would begin to worship it. Because we're totally depraved. We're no good. And aren't we, don't we sometimes get in that habit of we take something that God has used to bless our lives and we put it on a pedestal that it does not need to be. The only person that we need to be worshiping is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we start to place anything above Him, don't be surprised if God destroys it. Because that's what He did to the brazen serpent. It was indeed destroyed in the hands of King Hezekiah. But it's not the last we hear of the brazen serpent, is it? Well, let's turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, the story that we just read in Numbers was pointing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is not offering eternal life. This is, this is making a declaration that whosoever believeth, that means is believing in him, should not perish but have eternal life. Don't you rejoice in that this evening? And Jesus Christ was crucified and slain so you and I might have eternal life. And if you believe it, you have a great benefit this evening. Because if you believe that, that means you know you have an assurance that God has paid for your sins. That Jesus Christ went to the cross and He knew exactly what He was doing and we are saved. And this thing, my friends, was done out in the open. This act 
was done out in the open so everyone could see. Hebrews 13, 12 through 13 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him, bearing his reproach. See, this sacrifice was not hidden in any way. This sacrifice was not like the sacrifice that the high priest used to do. It was, did not take place in a tabernacle, my friends. That's right. It did not take place in a temple that was built with the hands of men. Right. It, was not, it did not even take place in the holy city of Jerusalem. It took place outside the gate. It took place out in the open. It took place out in the center of God's creation for everyone to see. And my friends, we need to take ourselves to that place often. And we need to see it and believe it for ourselves. That we might be aware that we have eternal life and that we can rejoice in that truth. There's a blessing at the foot of the cross. There's a blessing there. There is where we can see and we can know and we can be assured that all things are level and my friends, that we're all sinners at the foot of the cross. And for the ministry here this evening, can't we get a little bit too busy just looking around sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Because you know what happened to the folks in Moses' day that didn't look up? That spent all that time looking around to maybe see what others were doing? Or maybe looking at themselves to contemplate what am I going to do? You know what happened to those folks? They died. Right. And there's a death that we could experience right here on earth mm-hmm. as we live. So true. Yeah. And part of that comes with looking around mm. too much. And I tell you what, here's some advice that I've given myself and I think the Lord's blessed me with the follow and it gives me peace daily. Sometimes the under-shepherds of the flock needs to let the flock graze. You need to forget about them for a little bit. Daily. And the shepherds need to take a rest. They need to take a rest under the tree. And when I talk about tree, I'm not talking about an oak tree or a weeping willow. Definitely not talking about a juniper tree. (laughs) The tree that I'm talking about is the tree in which Jesus Christ hung. And my friends, that's where we need to go on a daily basis. We need to go to the foot of the cross. And we need to stop looking around and we need to look up. We need to look up at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I want you to see Him this evening. Look up. Don't see me this evening. Don't see me. Look up and see Jesus Christ as He hangs upon the tree. Look up and see the Savior dying in agony. Look up and see His hands pierced 
and his feet pierced. Look up at him as he gasps for air. Look up at, at the precious Jesus who, who was walking the earth and, and it was just so good in every single way. And look up and see what man has done to him. Look up and see the lashes that, that he took as he was whipped, as he was beaten, as he was tortured. Look up at him, my friends, and see the holy, spotless, sinless Lamb of God as he hangs upon the cross for you and me. It's time, my friends, and we need to do that every single day. Stop looking at each other, and please stop looking at yourselves. And look up at the cross, because if we focus on the one that you've been preaching to for ten years, and they still don't know the doctrine, <laughs> and we just concentrate, won't we get depressed if that's all we think about? <laughs> or the brother or sister that just can't get his finances in order. And you told them how to do it, you gave them advice, and they just won't do it. <laughs> or the deacon who doesn't carry his weight. Or how about just all the sins in the congregation together? <laughs> or how about your own sins? Talk about burnout. You just think about your own sins all the time. You'll burn out pretty quick. I tell you what, my friends, we need to get our minds off that daily and look up at that cross. Yeah. Right. We need to open up our eyes and see what He did for us. We need to open up our ears as we take our rest and sit there and look up at Jesus Christ as He shouts out, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Do you think that's the only prayer that God didn't answer from Jesus? Because I've heard that false teaching. You know that's not true, right? Wow. He answered that prayer. Amen. And the very people that were killing the Savior, crucifying the Savior, Jesus Christ prays, Lord, please forgive them. Right. You know what that tells me? That when I get done preaching a sermon and the critics come out and they're chirp, 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 chirping at me, you know what? I can forgive them. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I get a phone call of gossip or I get a phone call of drama in any way and it wakes me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I can't go back to sleep, you know what? I can think about Jesus Christ and what He cried out on the cross. Amen. And what did He cry out? He said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You know what that means for me? That no matter what my congregation does, or anybody else for that matter, I can forgive them because Jesus Christ forgave us. Amen. Isn't that how we should be forgiving each other? Amen. And I could just let things start to bounce off me. Brother Glenn says you need to be like Teflon if you're going to be in the ministry. you got to let things just bounce right off. <laughs> and that's right. And that's what we hear at the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you hear the Savior say that? You need to take some time. We need to take some time and hear those wonderful things that He said from the cross. How about as He turns to that no good, rotten thief, that sinner? He's just so bad. <laughs> And what does he say? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Oh, yes. Isn't that a wonderful thought? 
Isn't it a wonderful thought that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? And that's what we're headed for. That's what the thief on the cross received. Jesus didn't say, well, you've got to go through something called purgatory first, or you've got to be in limbo for a little while. Some other things have to happen. No. The moment we take our last breath, we take our next with Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that, that today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Oh, that's a good, solid, biblical truth. I'll, I'll right. rest in that. Amen. That's something to rest in, my friends. When yes. things get hard, when, when, it, when we start to get depressed and discouraged, we can know that the Lord is in control. The Lord's yes. in control. How about as He cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Just think about those words for a little while. Does it ever baffle you that Jesus Christ was forsaken so you and I would not be? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Praise the Lord that He was forsaken. That the Lord, the Father turned His back on Him and He poured out the wrath for all the sin that you and I have committed and all of the sin that the entire elect family of God had committed. And Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? What a dr dramatic moment. Mm -hmm. Have we forgotten it? Yes. Have we forgotten what Jesus Christ has done? I'll tell you, every time it, it, when we get caught up in, in ourselves and in others, for, for a little while there, we have forgotten what Christ has done. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, my friends. Don't forget. Always remember what happened that day on the cross. Look up and open up your eyes and open up your ears mm -hmm. and hear the Savior. Hear the Savior shout. Hear him shout. Hear him cry aloud. Hear him cry aloud with his last strength, with, with, his, with, his, with his last amount of energy when, he, when he, he's hanging there on the cross struggling for breath and he shouts out, it is finished. And it is finished. Amen. That's something I, I hope to God I go to my grave preaching. Amen. That what Jesus Christ did on the cross he did it in completeness. He did it in fullness. And He paid the sin debt. The offering that He offered to the Father, not to man, right. was accepted. Mm -hmm. The Lord accepted it. And it is finished. The work of redemption, the work of salvation. You know what? That's something I can rest in. Oh, yes. That's something I can rejoice in. And my friends, as the days go on and, and times get harder and and the days get darker. And as we've discussed this week where the sins that used to be abhorred, the sins that used to be <coughs> illegal in this country yeah. are now pr promoted and celebrated? Yeah. It's getting harder and harder, isn't it? Yes, it sure is. And I think it's going to get harder and harder to preach the truth. Yeah. But my friends, we need not to be discouraged. That's right. We need to keep going. We need to keep going. Why? Because of this very day. Because of what Christ did and said on the cross. Mm -hmm. Daily, let us raise up our eyes. Let us open our ears and see the Savior and rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Come ahead, Brother Gary. Amen. Amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy
in the world that discourage me, but the preaching of a 33-year-old gentleman like that is not one of them. Oh, boy. Brother Dickie Halbke walks, who is not here, he's on his way home, said the gospel is much more about believing correctly than about behaving correctly. What say ye? Now, I'm not say, telling you that you don't. You need, you need to behave yourself. <laughs> oh, my subject tonight is the cosmic Christ. I read to you from First Kings chapter eight at the dedication of the temple. And if you want to read an amazing chapter, read 1 Kings chapter 8 at the dedication of the temple. It's mind-boggling. Of course, the building of the temple is mind-boggling. The word cosmic means of or belonging to the universe or cosmos. Vast or huge. And I, look, before I say, read this, you know, there is, I, I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say, now I've studied, this is not bragging, but I've studied lots of things in my life. My grad, undergraduate degree was math, physics, physical science, I've studied all that. My, my graduate work was in English and literature and all that, history and all that. And uh, may I just tell you, there is nothing more challenging, more interesting, more endlessly delighting than the study of theology. It is uh, a, ch a challenge. I insist that, it, that theology is a science. I think theology, true theology, Bible theology, some of which we have just heard, will give you a unified view of all other academic pursuits put together in one whole. I believe this with all my heart. Science, history, you name it. Genetics, And it, and it is the only thing that I am going to also insist to what you can study all your life. I would love to know the years of study that are in this room right now, these preachers who I love so much. How many years of study has been going on? And I bet you most of them would say, I know just enough to know I don't know hardly anything. And, and the farther I go, the more delighted I become at what I learn about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he said and did on the cross. Amen. 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 Right. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> but will God, this is what Solomon said at the dedication of the temple. 1 Kings eight twenty seven. But will God indeed 
dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. The cosmic Christ. How much less this house that I have built it. (laughs) Wow. Solomon just said he's cosmic. He inhabits, inhabits the universe. He inhabits eternity. Right. Do you understand God? In fact, Christ, the second person in the Trinity, that's, that's what he was before he was Christ. You understand what I mean by that? Humanity. Second person in the Trinity. I believe in the eternal sonship of Christ. Do you? Yeah. I believe in eternal sonship. I do not believe he was human then. He was made flesh. I'll get to that in a minute. But he was the son of God. (coughs) Cosmic. For crying out loud, he created the cosmos. Isn't that great? Do you believe that? Now I ask you. Could he dwell on earth? Isn't that unreal? <laughs> That's God. He dwelt on earth. Okay. The cosmic Christ. The eternal Son. I mean, it's just amazing. Okay. All right. I don't want you to forget what Ray preached to you. Uh, you see, the Bible is so fascinating. And you have to, and let me just also say, if you're going to study theology, you're going to have to. Pardon me, and we've been fed plum to death. <laughs> plum to death. You're going to have to accept some things. Are you listening? Yes. You're going to have to accept some things as true that your mind cannot fully comprehend. Right. 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 Amen. Right. <laughs> That's what's wrong with little old silly Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Now, let me pause to say, I'm very thankful we had Thomas Jefferson to formulate the Declaration of Independence and have something to do with the founding of this country. But he was a theological nincompoop. (laughs) Well, because he did not believe anything that he could not rationalize with his scientific mind. Well, how are you going to ever grasp a God that the cosmos cannot contain? Amen. How are you going to grasp a God with no beginning? I love that. Amen. This is the God of the Bible. Amen. He was not created. He had no beginning. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Amen. Oh man, isn't that great? I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you rebellious sons of Jacob are not consumed, and that's the only thing saving your high. Isn't that great? Amen. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Now, there's a, I'll tell you something else that you're going to have trouble grasping, and that's the doctrine of the Trinity. I don't grasp it, but I believe it. Amen. I accept it. The, the, listen, there are certain things in the Bible that the Bible uses the term mystery, which means it's something that we grasp and apprehend, but we cannot fully comprehend because we are finite and God is not. Amen. <laughs> Just all the rest of that. Do you know you believe lots of things you do not understand? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. That's right. I'll give you one. I believe Becky loves me. I do not understand her. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big mystery. I'll give you another one. Speaking of science, I know it is so of a truth that there, if you have two masses separated in space by a distance, there is a gravitational attraction between those two masses, and we can even calculate it. Okay. Nobody, though, can explain why that happens. Right. Mm. What? <laughs> Hear me? Right. You know that electricity works, and you don't know how it works. That's right. right. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Are you listening? The same was in the beginning with God. That's in the beginning of everything. This is the cosmic Christ. Mm -hmm. Inhabits the cosmos. When John was a child, he asked me, Dad, where is God? And I preached about six or seven sermons on that. Because a lot of things about where is God. Well, he's in the cosmos. He's in the heart of every era of promise. He's in the church. That could go on and on. Yeah. Anyway, that, and that's kind of mysterious, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. All things were made by Him. Do, do y'all believe all things were made by the second person in the Trinity? Yeah. Yeah. The cosmic Christ? Right. <clears throat> Without Him was not anything made that was made. Any made thing, he made it. Now, y'all, he made, and I, let me say, he made some things that he made good, but they then went south. Yeah. Brother Carl would cuss at me for that, <laughs> saying it went south. They went, they went, went bad. <laughs> it went wrong, went awry. Human race included, fallen <laughs> angels. You realize the fallen angels were not created evil. Say amen. amen. God has not created amen. anything bad. Right. He, he pronounced his entire creation good. And that was, by the way, the second person in the Trinity that did that. That's what we're reading here. Right. The cosmic Christ is the one that stepped out and said, let there be light. Amen. Guess what? There was light. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. There was light. And y'all know, y'all already know. But there wasn't anything physically created in the universe at that time that could create light or that could generate light. Right. No luminous body had yet been created. That's right. But it doesn't matter when you're God. That's right. <laughs> God says, let there be light and there is light. Can you say amen? And then I think about, I think about, the, and see, that's an illustration of what happens in regeneration. Mm. Right. Ye were sometimes darkness. But by the way, that doesn't say you were one time in the dark, although you certainly were. You were sure. way worse than that. Right. You were darkness. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And that means an absence of light. What did God do to you at the moment of your regeneration? You know what he said? Let there be light in your soul. And guess what? Listen, y'all listen. There was nothing in you to produce that light. Nothing in your mom, your daddy, nothing in the Bible, nothing in the church, nothing in the gospel. That's right. To produce that light. God produced it. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. So even that, even that, let there be light is an illustration to us of spiritual. That's the cosmic Christ. Okay. Now, okay, so would you be willing to admit that there's some Godhead existed before the universe did? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? You know, theology is so boring and dry and dusty and irrelevant and academic. This doesn't have anything to do with anything. It has everything to do. This, this is what you think about this and you won't give a rip what is on Facebook. That's, that's rude right there. That's just mean. <laughs> this is better than what's on Facebook. Amen. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which, are, which we've looked upon. Now that's interesting. We've seen it with our eyes and looked upon it as if those are two separate things. Okay, well, I'll just... I'll let Brother Randall preach that to you. And our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, for the life was manifested. May I say, that is the perfect English word manifested, not created, not started, not begun, manifested. And I'm going to be mean here. That's what it means in English. I, this is mean. I don't think there's a Greek lexicon on earth that will improve on the word manifested. That's just mean, isn't it? In other words, y'all... I believe with all that in me is, this is the Word of God. Amen. In English. Amen. You're not going to hear me say, oh, that's the best we got. I've got to get off that. Okay. This is the cosmic Christ. The life was manifested. We've seen it, etc., etc. And then, in one place he says, full of grace and truth. In Him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Can y'all comprehend that? I, okay, what, what's the answer to Solomon's question? Will God dwell on the earth? He meant in the tabernacle. I'm telling you, God dwelt on earth in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to see it. The cosmic Christ. Okay, I believe that with all my heart. Do I understand it? No. Do I, I even know how that happened. I mean, I know the virgin birth is how that happened. Amen? Amen. You, he, he didn't have a natural father. Y'all listen to me. God fathered him. Right. That's right. You understand? I mean God fathered him in the womb of the Jewish virgin by the office work of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Amen. This is the virgin birth. 
He did not have a natural father. If he had a natural father, he's a sinner just like me and you. And if he had a natural father, he's a sinner just like me and you. He had a sin debt he owed God. And if he had a sin debt he owed God, he couldn't pay your sin debt because he's going to spend all the time paying his own. That's right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Can your mind wrap around? Let's just say Christ weighed eight pounds, four ounces when he was born. I have a brand new grandson and that's what he weighed when he was born. Jacob is his name. Jacob have I loved. <laughs> I know, that's, I know. I know what you're thinking. He is so weird, Brother Gary. He's weird. He's just so all right. I say Christ weighed eight pounds, four ounces. Y'all do realize he is a babe born in a manger. Right. Do you understand that? The cosmic Christ. Y'all with yes. me? Yes. Unreal. Okay. He was the one who said, let there be light. And then he was a toddler. Do y'all believe Jesus was a toddler? Yes. Yeah. The cosmic Christ was two years old. Theology is so boring, dull, uninteresting. Christ was 12. At, eight, at age 12, he got his, his mom and daddy lost him. And where were they find him? They did not find him at the strip mall. <laughs> or the Penny Arcade, or uh, the Hookah Lounge. <laughs> they did not find Christ at the Hookah Lounge. That's where you go to smoke a hookah. <laughs> and a hookah, from what I understand, is some sort of Iranian, you know, Eastern, where you smoke something. I'm not sure if it's even tobacco you smoke. You, be, you don't need to be in no hookah lounge. <laughs> Y'all, they didn't find Christ in there at Penny Arcade or the Mall Hookah Lounge. They didn't find him in Razorback Stadium. Twelve years old. They found him asking questions to the doctors and lawyers. This is the cosmic Christ. Y'all with me? Okay. He was the very one that said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. I witnessed that. Amen. I saw that. Christ said that during his personal ministry. Yes. Do you realize what he's saying? I saw that happen. That's the cosmic Christ. Wow. Wow. Made flesh, dwelt among us. Colossians 2, 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Is that, is that even, do y'all realize what that means? That means, as I understand it, when Christ, when the second person of the Trinity was manifested in human flesh, he's fully God, fully man. Amen. Sin accepted now, yeah. fully God. Now I hear all these hot shot theologians won't tell me that he emptied himself. Well, they're in Philippians. He emptied himself. Now wait a minute. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Incidentally, how, 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 can Godhead, being eternal and unchangeable, diminish aught? Yeah. In Him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily at age 12. Are you 
this minute. The cosmic Christ. Okay. I do not claim to even come close to understanding what I'm telling you, but I believe it with all of my heart because it's in God's Word. Now, y'all listen. He was 100% God, 100% man, sin accepted, occupying the same space. Now, I said when he was born, he was eight pounds, four ounces. Well, he grew, he became a man. I'm going to, with all the reverence that in me is, theorize that Christ weighed 165 pounds. He had to weigh something. Say amen, church. (laughs) (coughs) Had to weigh something. And incidentally, I do not believe, I do not believe Christ was a milksop, panty-waisted. Right. Lip-wristed <laughs> individual. He was a man. I think he was a man's man. Yeah. I think he was more a man. I think if you want to be like, I used to tell my students all the time, I, I would say, look, you young men, and you know, I mean, my, my students, I freaked them out. They thought I was weird too. You think I'm weird? You ought to have been one of my students. Because <laughs> I would tell a room full of hairy-legged, 10th grader men, I love you. I'm here because I love you. And they didn't hunt take that. <laughs> and when I got to know them further and further, I'd say, if you want to be a real man, you want to be a real man? How many of you want to be a man? I want to, you want to be a real man? The worst thing you can do is try to be like Prince or Hulk Hogan. You try to be like Christ. Amen. You want to be a man, you be like Christ. Amen. He was a man's man. He was not a wimp. That's right. He was strong. He had guts. Yes. That's right. Amen. And I will also say, you will never go through anything that he doesn't know what you're going through. Amen. He was tempted in all points like we are. Yep, it's out saying hallelujah. He said, well, he never lived with an unfaithful wife. Oh, yes, he did. Jeremiah Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. Is it possible that that olive-complected, 165-pound, bearded, Jew, dark hair, that lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago, born born in Bethlehem, raised Jesus the Nazarene, is it possible that he was the cosmic Christ. Absolutely. Inhabiting that same space. It's crazy. Are you kidding? He, look, the universe can't contain him. Solomon's temple can't contain him. And he was contained in 165 pounds of flesh 2,000 years ago in the land of Palestine. Amazing. <laughs> he was either that 
or he was the most outrageous fraud that has ever lived. The worst con man, the maddest of the mad hatters. No middle ground. Oh, I believe this with all my heart. Can you say amen? amen. And I'm going to insist tonight that we are going to have to understand this dual nature of Christ. This is the dual nature of Christ I'm talking about. Y'all with me? Godhead and perfect humanity occupying the same space. And incidentally, don't you find it kind of mildly interesting? Boy, isn't theology boring and dull and uninteresting? I don't know about you, this fascinates me all to pieces. Do you not find it interesting that Christ had a dual nature and the born-again child of God has a dual nature? Now, they're not exactly the same, I understand, but you've got a problem. You're born-again child of God, you've got a problem. Did you know a born-again child of God, and especially one that knows something about what he is, is about the most conflicted individual you have ever heard of? Amen. Conflicted. <laughs> I mean, come. You know and I know that you argue with yourself all the time. Right. Don't you? Because yeah. there's part of you that wants to do what's right. That's your inner man that God gave you in regeneration. The inner man created in righteousness and true holiness. It's in the image of God, glorified, ready to go. Did you know the, that new creature that God gave you, the moment he gave it to you, it was ready to go to heaven. It doesn't have to be improved or something else done to it. You don't have to hear a bunch of gospel and progressively get better and better. <laughs> For that new creature to be ready to go home to be with God. Say amen, church. Isn't that great? Now, do we need to get better? Yes. Should we? Yes. Should we work hard at it? Yes. But I want you to see tonight that we should work hard at believing Bible truth. Yes. I'm going to tell you, I don't think anything, Brother Ray's so right. Let's look up at the cross. I don't believe anything will deliver your mind from turmoil like believing the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the cosmic Christ. Nothing will free your mind from stress and worry and heartache and mental anguish, like, and, and not only believing, but believing that you are included. Yeah. Paul said he loved me. Amen. Gave himself for me. Can you say that about yourself tonight? Oh, you say, well, well, I can't. Well, I'm, I'm fixing to nail you high to the barn door. Do you love God? Do you love Christ? Do you? Amen. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Yes. Do you? Yes. If you do, I have the authority of God's Word to tell you you are a child of God. Not because of what you've done. In spite of what you've done, God has done something to you. Amen. And for you, you've got the evidence. Now, should we get swelled up? God forbid. But the older I get, the more important I believe it is. Well, here's what John said about it. These things have I written of you to believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have an eternal life, that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. That sounds like double talk. You need to, I am absolutely convinced that you need to know you're a child of God. In other words, here's what I'm telling you. I've got some characteristics, DNA traits. You know, uh, I've, got, I've got some bad personality traits. 
Amen. Amen. <laughs> I knew Shannon was going to say amen to that. Here, Daryl won. Set them up, buddy. I'll knock them down. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I've got bad personality traits. I've even got physical characteristics. Are you listening? That let me know I am the son of Richard Harvey. Mm-hmm. If you have these inner characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, you have a right to know that you are a child of the living God. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Not because of what you've done. But because of what he's done. And I think you need to know that. Since I'm on that, it is a nightmare, torture, horror house. Some of the theologies that are out here taught to God's children, that are God's children, about what they've got to do to become God's children. Hear me? Yeah. You must do this, thus, thus, bop, bop, bop. But you must do it with your whole heart. You must not have no doubts. or Right? Or you must repent of every sin. Or you must get progressively sanctified better and better in obedience to all the commands of God. Or you never were one in the first place. Those are horror houses. Nightmares that keep God's children in the bondage of the fear of eternal death. And the only thing that will deliver you from that is knowing the truth of the cosmic Christ and what He accomplished. What He did for you, what He's already done in you. Are you listening? Okay, now, I need to hurry up. Okay, we must keep the dual nature of Christ in our minds, and you've got to accept, y'all listen, you must accept the existence of the cosmic Christ the eternal word that the universe cannot contain, walking around in a 165-pound Jewish body, you must accept the existence of the cosmic Christ, or there's going to be passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, that will not, they'll, they'll be complete gibberish. Amen? Amen. Oh, listen. There are some passages which cannot be understood of the man Christ Jesus if he were not God. Right. And there are some passages which cannot be understood of the eternal Son of God were he not made a man. Right. You're going to meet your, you're going to meet yourself coming. I mean, you're going to go around that theological corner see taillights and realize they're your own. That's what's going to happen. Now let me share one little example, and I've got five passages I want to read to you real quick. But the one, before I even read the five, let me give you this example. You remember the story in, in uh, Matthew chapter 8, when the, when the disciples you know, go across the sea, and the Lord was asleep in the ship. Mm-hmm. Have you stopped to think about that a minute? That's the cosmic Christ. Cosmic Christ is on that boat. Cosmic Christ is on the boat. All right, now point number one, he was asleep. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Neither sleep nor slumber. Well, yeah, God does not sleep nor slumber. But he's asleep. <laughs> and then they wake him up. Are you listening? Oh, but the Bible's so boring, theology so dry and dusty, just academic. They wake him up, and the man who was asleep a minute and a half ago, 
calms the wind and the sea. And they say, what manner of man is this? Godhead does not sleep. Man cannot calm the sea. This is the cosmic Christ. Are you with me? Isn't that great? Godhead does not have blood to shed. Say amen, church. Godhead cannot die. No way. There can be no schism in the triune Godhead. Right. Ever. Right. <laughs> never has been. Never will be. Never will be. The triune Godhead is eternal, unchanging. There can be no schism in the Godhead. They are all three persons of the Godhead are on the same page all the time. Yes. Now, Becky and I are not on the same page about the thermostat. <laughs> I've got a little skinny woman and she's cold all the time. And I'm about to suffocate. <laughs> Can you imagine? Three distinct persons, one God, they're always on the same page all the time. Can you even imagine that? You cannot, but you've got to believe it. Y'all listen. There never has been, never will be any schism in the Godhead. Y'all listen to me. Listen to me. Even when, I'm going to get to these verses in a minute. Even when Christ was on the cross and the man was shedding blood for the redemption of his people. And the man was made to be sin for us. Are you listening? And the man bore the wrath of God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were humming along in perfect unison the whole time, observing what was going on to the Son of Man and in total approval. And I've got chills on my body just thinking of such a thing. I want you to know it was the man, Christ Jesus, that died for your sin. The man, Christ Jesus, the bore the wrath of God. The cosmic Christ. That blows my mind. Okay, all right. So Christ was asleep. Godhead doesn't sleep. And then he woke up and called the sea, and man can't do that. Okay, now I've got five passages I want to read here. And that clock is too far back there. I kind of can read it. <laughs> oh, I'm teasing. I can read it. I can read it, I promise. All right. Some of these, and y'all, I've just picked a few of these that, that mean so much to me. These are just a few places where you're not going to be able to understand them unless you understand this dual nature of Christ, the cosmic Christ, altogether God, altogether man. I, I mean, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Boy, do I believe it. Okay, John, and they're all in the book of John. I've chosen them all from the book of John. John chapter 1, this is crazy good. John chapter 1, verse 15. As you turn to John chapter 1, verse 15, you know that... Uh, that uh, you know that uh, John the Baptist was conceived miraculously by, you know, God and, and so forth in the womb of Elizabeth, Zacharias, 
before Christ was conceived in the womb of the virgin. About six months, right? Isn't that right? Time chronology. And you know, Mary came in there, uh, you know, to talk to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, how old was Elizabeth when she had John? How old was she? 90? Was she 90? You preachers ought to tell me so I got out here on this limb. Elizabeth was above years, if I remember correctly. I can't remember how old she was. Well stricken. Well stricken in years. And, and you know, Mary walks in there and Elizabeth got a baby bump. Well stricken in years. I mean, that's a sight on earth. But anyway, that's John the Baptist in there. And you remember when Mary tells her what's happening, the babe leapt for joy in the womb of Elizabeth. So John, chronologically, time-wise, was six months older than Christ. John 1, 15. 30 years later, along comes John the Baptist up out of the wilderness eating looks wild honey and is girt with a leather and girdle and he's preaching the gospel, making the way prepared for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he says, He that cometh after me is preferred before me or he was before me. <laughs> what? Now wait a minute. John the Baptist, six months older than Christ, saying Christ was before him. That is impossible unless he's the cosmic Christ. Isn't that just wonderful? John chapter 5. Oh, see? That's pretty, don't you think? Do you not think that's at least mildly interesting? Yes. <laughs> I mean, amazing. It's quite amazing. That's why. That's why the Bible's so cool, man. It is cool. All right, John chapter five. The Lord's talking to some people, and you know, you know, the Lord had a lot of trouble trouble with uh, traditionalists. People, people that uh, wanted to hold to what they'd been taught by mom and daddy and by their fathers. Did you know all of us should honor our fathers and mothers? But you know, they can be wrong. Say amen, church. Okay. Well, a bunch of these people that Christ taught, they were always going around talking about they were Moses' disciples. We are Moses' disciples. We're Moses' disciples. John chapter 5, verse 45. Do not think, Christ talking to some of these people. John 5, 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. What? <laughs> Look, if if Jesus of Nazareth was as Thomas Jefferson believed, just Jesus of Nazareth, but was not the eternal Son of God, that statement is madness for Jesus to say, Moses wrote of me. That's right. Gary Harvey is not going to tell you, hey, guess what? Moses wrote about me. 
I'm not going to tell you that. These guys say, look, we're Moses' disciples. Jesus said, wait a minute. If you really were Moses' disciples, you'd believe me because Moses was writing about me the whole time. And by the way, Moses, I've got it written down here, about 1500 B.C. What's Moses? 1500 B.C., Moses is writing about the Messiah, Christ. By the way, did you know the word Jesus, Christ, Messiah, none of that's in the Pentateuch anywhere? I looked to make sure. Jesus Christ Messiah, not in the Pentateuch anywhere. I ask you, how then did Moses write about Christ? And I'm just going to leave that question hanging. All right? Yeah, you study on that. John 8. Three more, okay? Three more. John 8. <coughs> 56. This is a mind boggler. <laughs> I mean, okay, before I read this, does everybody in here realize Matthew 1 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham? Everybody in here realize Abraham was the one that God started using to eventually bring into existence. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Started with, it started with Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, the 12 patriarchs. You got to come down to Judah, through Judah, all the way down here. And you got, you know, you got a couple of real zingers in that lineage. Rahab the harlot. What a zinger. What's she doing? She's not even Jewish for crying in a bucket. Incidentally, did you know Rahab the harlot became a and her whole family became members of the Old Testament church? I'll just let that soak in. And I've got a right to call it a church because that's what Stephen called it before he was martyred. Church in the wilderness. And she became a member of it, her whole family, and she was a harlot. And do you realize she found a good godly husband in there too? Remember his name? Salmon. And their baby boy, y'all remember his name? Boaz. Boaz. That's right. And so Rahab the harlot was, if I'm not mistaken, the great-great-grandmother of King David himself. Amen. And also you got Ruth in there somewhere. Right. She's a Moabitess. Boaz. All right, you got all, got all this. Okay, so all this lineage coming down here. It's through Abraham that eventually he's the seed. Christ was the seed of David, the seed of Abraham. Abraham, David, right on down till you get to Mary and Christ born in Bethlehem, Judea. It started with Abraham. Are you with me? Yep. You know, theology is so irrelevant, so boring, uninteresting. John chapter 8. Christ talking to some of the Jews. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, You're mad as a hatter. Thou art not yet 50 years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, 
I am. And he uses the I am on purpose. Because that's the very name that he had when he met Moses in the burning bush. Before Abraham was, I am, and Abraham was the one through whom Christ eventually became human. Just let that soak in. This is the cosmic Christ. All God, all man. Are you with me? Okay, John chapter 10. Two more. I and my Father are one. Wait a minute. 165 pound olive complected Jew wearing sandals, getting tired, needing a bath. No disrespect to Christ. You know, needing food, getting tired, sleeping. Right? After the temptation, remember the angels ministered to him. He was so weakened in such a weak condition they had to minister to him. Uh, by the way, what were angels ministering to? Divinity or humanity? Humanity. Godhead doesn't get tired. That's, right. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Amen. Did you know this being... This cosmic Christ created the universe in six days. <clears throat> he created it with his thought. I ask you, how much energy did it take to create a universe? A lot. And man, I love Well, nobody knows exactly. Who knows how? I don't know. But it took a lot. And do you understand? That after Christ created the whole universe, expending that much energy, he had just as much energy as he started with. Yeah. 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 This is Godhead. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. I and my Father are one. It's, it's absurd, ridiculous for a man <laughs> to say, I and my Father are one, unless he is the cosmic Christ. Mm-hmm. Y'all listen to me. You cannot really say, I and my Father are one like that. You listening? That which is in you is born of God, but it is not Godhead. It had a beginning. You all with me? And finally, John 16. You're an amazing audience. I tell you right now, I probably wouldn't put up with me preaching if I was you. (laughs) All right, Jesus Christ is here talking about and I think he gets started actually in John 14 talking about the com- sending the Comforter, right? Going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Don't forget now, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit agree on everything. There's no schism. Never, never, never. Never has been, never will be. Jesus is going to send the Comforter. Here he's talking about sending the Comforter. If I depart, I'll send the Comforter. I've got to, do- I've got to leave you. In fact, that's pretty interesting doctrine when you think about why Christ saying, I've got to leave you so that I can send the Comforter. And he even says, concerning the Comforter, I will come to you. And he means in the person of the Comforter. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to come for the Comforter. The Comforter's going to come in my place, you know, in my room instead, whatever you want to call it. And I've got to leave here so the Comforter can come. You want to know one reason why, in my opinion? Jesus Christ, since now he is mortal, when I say mortal, I mean he's human. His body can only occupy one space. Now he's going to send the comforter. The comforter can be everywhere. That's what's so glorious. You know, the Holy Spirit, God, comforter can be here with Boiling Springs at the same time it is with the church. Any other church around. 
Yes. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Okay. All right. He's going to send the Comforter. The Comforter's going to lead you into all truth, right? The, com- the full manifestation of that day of Pentecost. Everybody understand, right? Okay. Here's what Christ says about him. John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. I wonder about these uh, spirits that all they do is talk about the Spirit. They don't ever talk about Christ. It's just the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. They don't ever talk about Christ. I, I have my, I have my wonder. For he shall not speak of himself. For whatsoever he shall hear that, he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. Listen, Christ says concerning the Spirit, he, the Spirit, mm-hmm. shall glorify me. Right. He could only say that if he was the cosmic Christ. Mm-hmm. Will God dwell on the earth? What say ye? Yes. The heaven of heavens could not contain him. But that 165-pound body did. I, I thank you for your great attention. This is the cosmic Christ. I don't think we're going to understand the New Testament unless we keep all this straight. I love you Amen. with all my heart. Amen. Thank you, Christ. Whose son is it? <coughs> yeah. The answer? The son of David. That's right. That was right. That's a good yeah. answer. That is a good answer. But it wasn't the whole answer. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. How then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Mm-hmm. You know, folks were looking for the Christ, but all of a sudden, the Christ revealed he was more cosmic than they thought. That's right. And what the scripture says there in Matthew 22 after that is, after that, no man durst ask too many more questions. <laughs> you know, sometimes we get to see a little more about that, that infinite nature oh, yes. of our Savior. Somehow, sometimes we just need to stop asking questions and think about what just got uncovered about Amen. the truth. Mm-hmm. And tonight we've been blessed to see, see some of those things. Sit under the tree and gaze up at the one who inhabits the high and lofty place Amen. of eternity, but also dwells in the heart of him that is of an humble and contrite spirit. Amen. Let's sing hymn number 230. I don't know if there's anybody here that needs to join the church, but if you do, do that. Follow <laughs> Jesus Christ. And uh, I think there's uh, Boiling Springs and some other churches that have enough represented here uh, that you can come forward and ask that. But if you like, stand while we sing all four verses of 230. Come, let us join our cheerful songs with angels round the throne ten thousand thousand are their tongues but all their joys are one worthy the lamb that 
Yeah. <laughs>